We are stepping out of our study on the Trinity, thankfully for me. Uh, last week, I don't know about you, my heart was full, my head hurt after we were done. Um, but the, at least the cartoon kept me entertained in the midst of it. But um, one thing I wanted to, uh, we're going to do a two-week little thing here leading up to our study serve switch. And so today, um, if you, you should know, because I know every one of you, when that the one email comes by you on Friday, you actually click on that and you actually go and find out information about what's going on around here. I know all of you do that, so all of you are prepared for Gratitude Sunday and all of you have already thought about who you're gonna write a letter to and who you're gonna do that to, right? Right, you should do that. You should really click on that thing. There's a really cool little video that um, Stuart Bowman uh, put up this week on Study Serve. You should go and listen. Um, you should hear from those men. They're wonderful guys. And so a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of a commercial, but you should do that. We have one of my favorite traditions in our home is birthday mail. And we take one of the bazillion shoe boxes we have in our house because our kids wear shoes out faster than I can buy them. And we take it, we decorate it, we cut a slit in it, and we put it on the table or on a counter. And then for the day, two days or so leading up to the birthday, or last minute sometimes, uh, you know, an hour or two before, uh, we're shoving stuff in there. And what we do is we write notes to uh, one another and tell them what we th- just are so thankful for about them. Just the way the Lord has blessed us uh, through their life and just the fact that they're part of our family and we love them and and care for them. And it really is one of the most exciting times. And then after we do our big uh, birthday dinner, we sit down in the living room and whoever's birthday it is opens the box. And it is one of the best things we do. It's far beyond better than any little trinket or gift that we give one another. This is really special. And my boys love it, particularly because dad slips dollar bills in there. Okay, so that, that goes a long way for the excitement factor. Um, but they're getting older now, so it costs more. So, um, I, so today, we're going to do thank you mail. That's what we're going to do as, as a body. And if you, you should have had one of these cards handed to you on the way in. If you're like one of those really grateful people, you, there's more back there if you need them on the sound booth and back by the back door and you can grab them. And there's also some pins in a bucket back there. If you didn't bring a pin, you should always bring a pin with you. But you have a card, right? And we're going to give you ample time to write on that and to say thank you. And at the end of the service, bring it up uh, here but one of the things that we just need to do more often is to peel back and to look at and be thankful for the blessings of God. It's hard for me in the position I'm in. I'm kind of the problem solver guy, and so I get a lot of the things that need to be done differently or that people are upset about handed to me. And this week was a great week for me because I sat and I thought about How many things are going right? How many beautiful things happen in the midst of this church? And so I'm very thankful to be able to to share with you today. And we are going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. I'm not going to put the whole chapter up on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, So if you'll turn in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that's where we'll be. And we're going to use Paul's Thank, thank you, Mail, 
to drive our own and to make our own. So let's read from God's word, starting with verse 1. Paul, Savanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers and remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, if you don't get encouraged by anything else today, please look back at the last verse for me. Last two verses. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Maybe you didn't read the same thing I did, but that encourages me. That gives me great hope that Jesus is going to come and he's going to deliver me from the wrath that is sure. Unbelievable. We have a living God. He is not dead. He is alive. Now, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica was his encouraging letter to a young church. And today we're going to take this first chapter and we're going to frame what we talk about about encouragement and encouragement and it's going to frame the letter, my letter of encouragement to you. You cannot understand how amazing and remarkable and beautiful Northwake really is. You see, there's been millions of churches planted. Paul and Timothy and Silas, they planted this church. They went and evangelized, and all of a sudden, by great power, people came to Christ, and their Gentile ministry started, and there was a church planted there, and those people's lives were changed, radically changed, and they brought great joy to Paul. Great joy. It is rare. Very rare. For a church to be God honoring and Christ exalting and biblically faithful and seriously serious about their worship in our day and age. 
It is sadly, sadly uncommon. But you guys are exemplary. It's amazing. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know, being able to minister in the same place for a long, long time with great joy and little grief is exceptional. It's amazing. You are amazingly faithful, loving, sacrificial. And whether you know it or not, each of you is a part of something very, very special. People who come here, people who are here for a while and and then they leave, they're touched by your lives. They're absolutely different when they leave this place. Time and time again. Somehow, these people come encounter with the genuine community of Christ. Genuine followers of God, and they taste a little bit of what it means to be God's people in His kingdom. And people live here different, with this amazingly deep gospel DNA that's unmistakable. If you go, and I tell people this all the time, once a North Waker, always a North Waker, doesn't matter where you go. Because when you meet them, there's, there's this weird DNA about them that's just home. It is what it is. I can't quantify it. I don't know what it's about. But once we sit together and we fellowship, it's amazing what happens. Absolutely amazing. One of our church planners affectionately told me one day, he said, you do realize you guys mess people up, right? I said, yes, I get that. We mess a lot of people up. But what he was saying is he's saying once you get a taste of a faithful biblical community like North Wake and you leave it, nothing else satisfies you. You can't just go through the motions anymore. So as we start to think about gratitude for this place and the people sitting around you, let's borrow from Paul's thank you mail and create our own. Paul starts with gratitude. The first two chapters of this letter are filled with his gratitude for this church. But what I want us to focus on today is what makes that church, what makes, what sets them apart? What was Paul so very thankful for. There are three key attributes in verse three that I want you to, to look at that are gonna frame and outline for us today. Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. Now, Before we do, Paul writes, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering. Before we get started, let's just think about this word for a minute. Remembering. 
Memories are powerful. Jesus knew that. That's why he established the Lord's Supper and he said, do this in remembrance of me so that you would be reminded that he came and he died for your sins. His body was broken. His spilt blood of the new covenant was given for your sins so that you may be forgiven. And that there wouldn't be any of this Jesus plus anything else. It would just be this sacrifice for you set you free. Remember. It's pretty powerful as we gather around the table and we remember. Memories are hugely powerful. They stir our emotions and our affections. Memories can induce happiness. They can induce joy, fear, anxiety, anger, insecurity, love, acceptance, Sometimes the way we react to circumstances is fueled by memories from the past. Memories can be powerful force in our lives and they can be a huge force in prompting for thanksgiving and worship and prayer. See, when I pray for you guys, when I pray for this church, there are 16 years worth of memories embedded in that prayer. I don't, it's not a generic prayer. I'm not just praying for some church down the street. I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for faces and names and experiences, hardships, victories, failures. 16 years of them. And when Paul prays for the church at Thessalonica, he has names and faces and memories. And things that Timothy has reported to him in mind as he prays for his beloved church. What about you? When you pray, do you have those? When you pray for this place, this people? How about the people in your small group? the people that serve your children walk alongside you through hardships you see he doesn't just address names and faces though he addresses them as a whole as a corporate body and he praises God for them and the first thing he praises God for them is a work of faith Paul was grateful because the faith of the people at Thessalonica was real. It was genuine. It caused them to do things differently, to live differently. There were works of faith being produced, not just a belief statement. Kind of reminds us of James 2, where James makes the point that faith without works is what? Dead. Absolutely dead. And he says, you can say you believe, but I will show you my faith by what I do. The church at Thessalonica were not just hearers of the word. They were doers of the word. The gospel had, had great, great effect on them. The church there was a community which was loved and chosen by God. In verse 4, Paul writes, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. But how did Paul, Silas, and Timothy know 
But these people were loved and chosen. In verse 5, he tells us, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power of the Holy Spirit and full of conviction. And when the gospel came to them, it came to them in power. It convicted them. It regenerated them and transformed them. They became a different people than what they were before. How do we know that? How do we know that they truly believed? Verse 6 says this, and you became imitators of us of the Lord and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. They, own, they not only believed the message, they were transformed by it. The gospel changed everything. There was no easy believism there. The message came to them in much affliction. And they were hurting. But it also came in the power of the Holy Spirit and brought great joy. Paul had specific memories of times when their faith produced works. They became imitators of their shepherds in the Lord. Northwake has always been marked by men and women who struggled and strained and strived to be imitators of Christ. There's been so many times when I have watched your faith, when I was supposed to be there ministering to you and you ministered to me, so many times when I have sat with couples whose marriages were busting apart and one of them had the faith that was so amazing that I walked away baffled. Times when I came to mourn and grieve with you in the hospital or in your home and you looked at me and shared your faith with me and I walked away benefiting. Not really sure that I did anything. Your faith was at work. I've seen people that I've called on the phone and are in huge crises and talked with them and they're saying, we're good. Our small group, they've taken care of every need we have. I'm like, okay, could I pray with you? I'd love Great. That's awesome. That's amazing. And there is story after story after story of you chasing people who are trapped in their sin, of loving them well, encouraging them to flee from it. It's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Your faith has brought you to a place where it is not dead at all. It is alive. Looking back on verse 1 and the end of verse 3, Paul makes it clear that this church was in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Christ is a, is a phrase that Paul oftentimes uses to communicate our genuine union with Christ. Our connection to Him, our true salvation. And in that church at Thessalonica... God was the very atmosphere in which the church lived and moved and had its being. 
It was the very air they breathed was their relationship to God. And it flowed out of them. And it flows out of you. It's absolutely palatable. I've had so many people come and worship with you or go to your small groups and come to me and go, I'm not sure what you guys do, but there's a genuineness of faith here that is unique. That is powerful. And I believe that is because you, as a whole, drink deeply of the Lord God. And you are connected to him, to him genuinely. And that filters out to everyone who comes in contact with it. You see, the reality is this. Right relationship with God brings about right worship that is then expressed in labor and service. And that's what's happening here. That's what hap- was happening in the church at Thessalonica. And the second thing that Paul is thankful for is their labor of love. Now, be very careful here because we use that phrase in a little different way. We use, it was just a labor of love. A little thing that didn't mean a whole lot. But we did it for you to, you know, just to have a nice day. Wrote you a nice little note. Gave you a little piece of candy. It was a labor of love. That is not what Paul is talking about. Ladies, Think of labor, okay? You got a picture now? Guys, if you've been there, think of labor. Paul is talking about this. He's talking about complete and utter toil to the point of exhaustion for the sake of love. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about laying it all on the line, not being comfortable, but pushing past the point of comfort to the point of drudgery almost, not quite, but that point of exhaustion, That your love is so intense for the Lord Jesus Christ and his people that you would push way past your comfort zone. Way past your energy. You know, when I was growing up, a lot of times we would do manual labor with my dad or others. And there were times when I came home and I could not raise my hands to wash my hair. Okay? And it was great. And I learned to work hard. But there were points at which I wanted to give up and there was no giving up. There's no stopping until the job was done. Their experience of God's love in the gospel was producing in them this type of toil. And you are to be commended in this area, Northway, because I watch it all the time. There are hundreds and hundreds of people that serve in a myriad of ways around this place, week in and week out. Serving every kind of person from newborns to adults, from teaching to picking up trash, to meeting with people in coffee shops, to welcoming visitors out front, to caring for the needs of people in feed and in car ministry and other things. It really is staggering if you sit down with the list. This thing that was up here when Larry was here, this list that looked like a ton of people, that's just a small microcosm of what's really going on week in and week out around here. It's unbelievable. Listen to this. Step back for a minute and hear the stories. You, Northwake, you served three-year-olds on your last day before you were being sent out to serve in another church. 
You played on the worship team this last Sunday you were here. You sacrificed your time and comfort and took on another class in the second hour after being exhausted by teaching a first three-year-old class in the first hour because too many teachers were sick and classes were going to be canceled. You spent a lot of late nights here in order to make sure that the sound works to serve us all in that way. You came in throughout the week and spent countless hours folding, cutting, preparing things in order that our teachers may have had, that they may have everything that they need. You cleaned and picked up, fixed up things around here that no one even knows about, that you just took care of. You prayed night and day for the spiritual health and ministry of this church in your private prayer closet, only known by God, but felt by us all. You went and sat, spent time with and prayed with those who were hurting and grieving, and you comforted them. You see, as I read this simple list, and it could go on for hours, I had names and faces in my mind. And I think you do too. If you have a bad memory, this would be a great time for you to scratch one of those names on this card. You see, there are people throughout this congregation who take Ephesians 4 seriously. works of ministry are to be done by the body and as those works are done the body is built up into Christ who is the head and you take that seriously every single week and you toil I left the names out and Paul leaves the names and faces out so to make a huge point that though there are individual pieces and though there are individual people doing different things in this church, we are one. We are one. So you did all of those things because you are part of this body. We are one and you are to be commended. The outcome of this labor of love for the Thessalonian church, in verse 7, they became an example or a model to other churches and believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And maybe unbeknownst to you, you are as well. I get a phone call every week from somebody who wants to sit down with me and ask me about the ways and things that we're doing around North Wake because they have loved or heard about something that they just would love their church to be a part of and they would love their church to have this thing. And I am dumbfounded that we could be the model for anybody. (laughs) It's almost funny. But it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. You are exemplary. And you provide that example for churches all over the country. 
even if you don't know it. Verse 8 lets us know that not only had they become an example or a model for others, the word of the Lord sounded forth from them and it had gone everywhere. Do you guys know what that is? You know what that is? It's easy. Answer's a map. Okay, let's go from there. All right, now, do you know where that map is? In the conference room in the office. And do you know what each of those little cards represent? People sent out from North Wake to do ministry all over the world, all over the globe. You don't understand the impact you're having. The word of God, the gospel is being spread throughout the entire planet. Look at that map. From our fledgling little church on, on South Main Street, this is happening. That's crazy. That is absolutely Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So let me put it to you this way. What do you see when you see that map? What does that map speak to you? What does it say to you? It says to me that my little labors every week on Sunday morning or in a small group or wherever it may be are not as little as I think they are. That the things that we do around here to keep the church healthy and focused on the gospel and centered around Jesus Christ are spreading throughout the world. Unbelievable. It's exciting. You should step back. Every once in a while you should go over there, go into the conference room, look at the wall and pray. Just pray. We meet in there every Monday at 1.30 and I'm dumbfounded every time our staff walks in there and I look at this wall and I'm like, I don't know how this is going on. I don't know how this is happening, but it is. And it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. The word of God is sounding forth from you, Northwake, to the ends of the earth. Your testimony, your service has spoken for themselves. Your love for God, your love for one another through the service has produced a great commission army that is spreading out throughout the world. I'm good with world dominance in Jesus' name. I'm good with it. How beautiful it is. Absolutely beautiful. The Great Commission takes toil, it takes hard work, and you have been a church that labors well, far beyond comfort. One of my favorite hymns, written by Horatius Bonner, is named, Go Labor On, Spend and Be Spent. And here's the first stanza. Go labor on, spend and be spent. Thy joy to the Father's will, it is the way the Master went, should not the servant tread it still. Go, labor on, spend, and be spent. You are remarkable. And all I say is, go all the more. Labor all the more. Spend all the more and be spent for the glory and name of Jesus Christ. Unbelievable. Finally, Paul is not only thankful for the work of faith and the labor of love, 
but with their steadfastness of hope. Verse 6 tells us that they received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And I have one question for you. How does one who is afflicted and suffering greatly endure? How do they endure? What fuels true endurance in the midst of affliction? Hope. Hope is the fuel of steadfast endurance. Hope motivates you to take the next step when you don't have anything left. Hope. Now, all of us think of hope in a little few different ways. And so, let me just illustrate what the Bible is saying about hope. It's not like this. I could ask Greg Bowers whether he thinks his beloved Tar Heels are going to win the national championship next year in basketball. And he might say, I sure hope so. In other words, he's using hope to describe a desire he has for something in the future to happen, but he's very uncertain he will attain it. I'm very uncertain that he will attain it as well. It's empty optimism. That's all it is. When we use the word hope that way, it's just hoping something works out in the end. Empty optimism, and you will not endure in, with empty optimism. The trials of this world will crush you. And you will not be steadfast. You will not endure. Christian hope is radically different. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, calls it a living hope. And let me read this to you because this is an unbelievable passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-7, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfaded, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you will be grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Peter says in that same chapter in verse 13, hope fully in the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, he's not saying hopefully. He's saying set your hope fully. Set your hope fully in the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not uncertain. It's not a desire that we have that hopefully things will work out in the end. We know for sure. We know for sure. Our hope is sure. And that's a truth you can build your entire life on. And I have seen you guys do it time and time again. In crisis and in severe trial, 
I have watched you fix your eyes on Jesus. On your sure hope. You see, hope comes from what we keep in our view. If my eyes are set on the trials and the tribulations around me, I have no hope. None whatsoever. They're overwhelming, and they overwhelm me. Until I'm reminded to set my eyes, to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. He is my hope. He is my assurance. He is my glory. You see, many of you have been through many trials. And some of those trials have come through the areas of service that you work in at North Wake. Whether you're a small group leader, whether you're um, in the hope counseling, or you're doing some, or you're teaching toddlers, or whatever you're doing. You're doing it with little to no recognition or encouragement. But somehow, you remain steadfast. You have learned to set your gaze on Jesus and on the beauty of his bride. And you are convinced that he is worthy of your endurance. That you have an inheritance that is imperishable and undeniable. Undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven. You have a living Savior and a living hope. This is the incredible, beautiful thing about North Wake. It's never about fancy stuff around here or things. It's always been about living for the hope of a coming king and his kingdom. And at the end of this passage, that's what Paul brings forth. You're waiting. For the Son of God to come, Jesus, the risen one, to deliver you from the wrath that is sure. And this type of life leads to reports and a reputation that God is working in and through you. We're not perfect. We have warts and ugly spots all over us. We are sinful people, saved by the grace of God. But God is moving in your midst and he is doing things in ways that are making much of Jesus and that reputation is going out. Now, last two verses of our passage today. Much of verses 9 and 10 have been preached often about conversion, about turning from idols and serving the living God and those types of things. But today for what we are focused on, I want you to look at two words in these last two verses. Serving and waiting. I think you can sum up most of all of the Christian life in those two words. Serving and waiting. Thessalonian church served the living God and waited for Christ's return. Every Christian is called to serve in the world and wait for glory. You see, people who don't know Christ, they don't serve the living God, 
and they live for their own glory. They don't sing songs like we sang today, not to us, not to us, but what? For your glory. No. People who do, are not related to Jesus, people who have not come to a saving faith in Christ, do not sing that song. They sing, for my glory. For my glory. But this church had laid down their life. They had given it to Jesus because he had laid his life down for them. And they served the living God and imitated Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. And they are waiting. They are expectantly waiting for the day when all of sin will be judged under the wrath of God. And all things will be made new. They wait. And they know that this is not it. They, and you are, I need to commend you for this. You guys don't live this way. You don't live for today. You live for that day. Martin Luther was famous for saying he had two days on his calendar. Today and that day when Jesus would come. You live that way. I observe it on a weekly basis. And I know you do as well. So here's the culmination, the conclusion of our time in the Word today. Faith works. Love labors. Hope endures. And here's the beauty of this passage. The spiritual eyes that it takes to see the truth of the gospel, for a life to be transformed, for you to repent and have faith and live out in faith, love, and hope, you can't take credit for, and neither can the church, and neither could the church at Thessalonica. Paul knows it because in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Paul knows who gets the credit. As John Piper famously says, the giver gets the glory. God has given you faith. And that faith has produced works. And he has loved you abundantly. And that has produced labors of love. And he has given you a hope. And a future. That is steadfast. And immovable. And I am very thankful. That you know. That everything is from him and through him and back to him for the praise and glory of his name. So, as we end our time, we're going to have a 
prayerful time where you can write on a card for a few minutes. The worship team's going to come and they're, they're going to just play some instrumental music to give you time for that. I'd like for you to pray over this card and give thanks to God because the reality of it is we are thanking God for what he is doing through someone else. So write that on this card. Prayerfully consider that. If you need more, you can get some in the back. And I want you to come down here and drop it in this bucket. And just thank God that he has been gracious to you. And he has placed you in this body for this time for a reason. 